Hey, hey, everyone, and welcome back to Rossum Parenting. This is episode 16. Yeah. And we've got a special guest here today, Lee. I don't know how to pronounce your last name. Not going to try to butcher it. It's okay. It's the Ukrainians. It's too many consonants. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I only have two syllables. So can you tell yeah, us? Yeah, Turkish. Yeah, it's, it's uh, Nijerkic. Okay. It's Nijerkic. Yeah. <laughs> oh, awesome. Awesome. And then, of course, I've got my lovely co host, Lynn Nguyen. Uh, so today is going to be a, a heavy topic. It's going to be about grief. And, um, you know, I brought Leon because I heard her speak at one of our summer schools last year in regards to uh, death and grief. And I'm going to let her introduce herself and what she does so that uh, I don't butcher that as well. So go for it, Lee. Yeah, no problem. I know it's a it's a big topic, um, but we what we hope to accomplish today is you know bringing a little light to the topic um, to help us understand it. So that's really what my interest in in this area has been. Um, I'm a death doula, so that's a non medical um, support for people who are end of life and uh, and and in transition. A doula really helps with any kind of life transition. So in this case, it's about end of life support um, and navigating that that experience. So I've uh, trained at the Institute of Traditional Medicine um, in contemplative end-of-life care. Um, I've uh, studied in thanatology, which is death studies, and I'm a hospice volunteer and uh, community activist and engager who, who just really is interested in this very weighty big topic. So I'm uh, grateful to be here today. Thank you. Well, oh I'm God. grateful that you, we, there is even a role. So like when I heard about it, it was the first time it was last summer and I was like, what a death doula. That is amazing. That's brilliant. Because we think about birth, 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 birth. And being a mom, I had a doula, but I never, ever thought, especially even being in life insurance business, uh, for almost six years now, that was the first time I heard of a death doula. So thank you so much for being in your career role. <laughs> Yeah, it makes up. sense. It's crazy because when you think about death, nobody really talks about it. And I, I didn't know that there was such thing as a death doula. And now that you've kind of outlined all the things that you do relating to death, I'm sitting here thinking, holy crap, I don't think that I've actually ever really had like an educated conversation around death ever. Mm -hmm. Well, that's exactly, that's why you know, this is why it's such a hard topic is it's, it's been so removed from so many of our communities and our societies, not always been that way and not in every, you know, society around the world, but really in the Western and modern context, it is really made invisible and institutionalized and has been taken away from, you know, our everyday life and home life. So that's part of, you know, the bringing back of this and folding it back into the, into life and to bring light to it um, is part of this movement. Um, and I've learned from so many amazing um, women who have been leading in this space and leading this conversation. And it is a taking back. Um, and especially um, Black women and Indigenous women in terms of death mm -hmm. loss related to maternal, you know, health and reproductive issues, learning so much all the time. So, you know, we're all on this journey together and we're still figuring it out. Right. So it's, it's a constant and it's a, it's a, you know, it's a certainty, but it is something that we're still learning about all the time. So I, this is really important to bring it to different spaces so that it, we can get develop more literacy about it. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Thank you very much for, for coming on and, and being able to share some of this information. I think there's a lot to cover on this topic. So there's a letter that someone actually wrote in, I'm going to go through and then maybe you can help us sort of to dissect it a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Sounds great. Okay. 
So this uh, writer puts, recently a friend of mine announced that she'd had a miscarriage. In addition to feeling deep sorrow and grief for her loss, I was instantly transported back to my horribly lonely, never mind traumatic miscarriage experience over a decade ago. Despite having walked that proverbial mile in her shoes, I nevertheless found it shockingly challenging to know what to say or do because the way we all process grief and loss is so uniquely personal. The last thing I wanted to do was make it worse somehow. So for the time being, I've said almost nothing beyond I'm so sorry. Again, it took me right back to my own experience. Despite being very vocal about what had happened to us, we pretty much received radio silence after our loss became public uh, knowledge. Sure, there were condolences expressed on social media, but even from my closest circle of family and friends, no one showed up. No flowers, no cards, no Starbucks drop-offs, nothing. I viscerally remember looking at my husband late in the day after we arrived home from the hospital, trying to figure out what to do for dinner and musing, aren't there supposed to be casseroles on our doorstep when something this bad happens? Where are our fucking casseroles? (laughs) (laughs) It's a moment I'll never forget. Why are we all so bad at this? Why is grief so hard to talk about? How can I best support my friend through her grief while not potentially making it worse? How, as a woman, can we best show up for our people when tragedy strikes? Yeah, well, you know, that, <laughs> that writer is tapping into so many, uh-huh. so many things, right? And to ask those questions about, you know, reflecting on your own experience and how do we show up for others? Um, mm-hmm. It's hard to do, even if we've experienced it ourselves, right? So that's right. what makes it so complex. And and sometimes it is about the fucking casseroles, right? Like you can <laughs> totally. Totally. Sometimes you don't even need to just say anything. Just here you go. You want a bowl of food, instant noodles. That's my food. It's one of the things I feel like growing up in my culture, that's all we use to, to, uh, as a connecting tool, you know, um, growing up and culturally speaking, Asian people don't normally talk about feelings. You know, it's Mm -hmm. just not discussed, but we can feel them and we can express them through offerings. Yeah. Where's the fucking casseroles? This part I'm I, I just about died, me, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think that, you know, so some of your questions, I think if we can maybe, yeah, just piece out a bit of like the, why are we so bad at this? And, you know, and why is grief so hard? Um, you know, I think just to respond to the, why, to understand like why we're so bad at this, it's not that we're bad at this. It's that, you know, there are larger systems at play that have not enabled us to cope or to deal with or to face these these feelings um, in many ways. So, you know, I don't think we, you know, it, we may fumble and we we don't do well. So I think we need to sort of remove the fear and the, the, you know, making it personal in the sense of like blaming ourselves and that we can sort of, let's just lift that pressure off of ourselves, right? Like the guilt that comes with those pieces. And to, to help us understand, you know, death itself is is a stigmatized issue, right? Like it's a, it's a stigmatizing topic. Every culture has different perspectives on it, social, you know, social norms that come with it, recognitions, superstition, religious beliefs, all of those structures really play, you know, into what we understand in our relationship to death. So, you know, that's the thanatology piece that helped me really understand how, you know, how we come to be in this, in this space. Um, So it's speaking from the Western modern context here, you know, and myself as a, as a white woman without, you know, a religious background, um, you know, I can say though, that in, you know, North America, over you know the n- number and number of years, 
death and loss have really become institutionalized and it's really yes. been made invisible from our everyday lives and therefore our comfort with it, right? So outsourcing to hospitals, to funeral homes, you know, all of these institutions do have a role, but really traditionally and for many, many millennia, it was in the hands of people within the home, right? And it still is in certain cultures, but really, you know, even our workplaces <clears throat> dictate, you know, now in a very corporate culture, business related culture, we get three days of bereavement leave for really painful losses. And it sort of tells us yeah. and dictates how we deal with death, how we're allowed to grieve, what is socially acceptable. And we don't have the education. It's not built into schools. We don't, you know, people in the home can't talk about it. So yeah. no wonder we don't know how to cope with it when it arrives like a bomb in our lives, right? And so I think the, the, the grief that inevitably comes with death, um, you know, again, the coping and the aftermath, we're, we're no better at, right, often. Um, you know, on top of that, I would say on this particular topic, you know, with miscarriage or abortion or anything related to reproductive and maternal health, it's also stigmatized because we're also driven by more patriarchal systems yes. that dictate, you know, women's bodies and how visible and how acceptable it is to deal with all these things. They're really hidden away, right? We can't even talk about our periods or breastfeeding. Like that's offensive to people. And those are life-giving things, let alone death and miscarriage or whatever that is, right? So you can only imagine how that's a double, you know, um, uh, a piece of all of this that, that <clears throat> represents and so what sure. we really talk about is um it's 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 called disenfranchised grief and so I that hear the loss, word shame when you say that I really that's yeah. the word that comes to mind for me you know yeah, people and, feeling and, ashamed that they weren't able to fulfill the pregnancy or to be able to even get pregnant or to make a choice around their own bodies it's like I hear the word shame when you say disen, uh disenfranchised grief and, and same here yeah. and you know everything you just said prior to what you're going to say is so many different perspectives. Like I know I already spoke to you last time, but as you're saying it in more depth, I'm just like, wow, it's just all these little perspectives. So I hope, you know, the people who are listening are, are really taking and absorbing this in. And if you don't I urge you guys to listen to it again. <laughs> Well, and there's so many resources and, and understanding of it in many ways. So there are some resources that I'll share, but even the term understanding that disenfranchised grief, that it's a legitimate, but just not societally recognized legitimate pain that people are feeling. And there's no, just because there's no acknowledgement by society doesn't mean it's not very real and a very, very common experience. And that's the thing is women have been expected to hide away, to make invisible, to just cope and deal. And we have not been, you know, allowed to talk about our very real and common experiences. So it's so important for platforms like this and the, the more voices and more diverse voices who are talking about these very personal experiences to the extent that they're comfortable, um, the more we can feel connected and not alone in these, you know, this pain and this loss um, that everyone experiences in some way or another. So, you know, I think just to sort of talk about yeah, the, the, the stigmatization of all of these issues compounded. Um, that's why we're bad at it because, you know, the structures have not enabled us to, to help cope. So to say, you know, we're bad at it doesn't mean that we're good at grief or death. There's not a, a being good at it. It's still hard no matter what. So I don't think anyone should feel that there's a right or a correct or an expert way of dealing with this. It's hard and it sucks, period, right? And that yeah. to kind of alleviate ourselves of any expectations there is really important. You know, right. on the topic of grief and loss, death and dying, um, Kubler-Ross has a model out there. Um, and I think that 
it would be important to sort of highlight that a little bit so that people can understand the process of grief and what it might look like to, um, you know, to experience it so that it can be normalized a little bit. Can you speak a little bit more on that? Of course. Yeah. So she was really a pioneer um, in this space. And it wasn't to say that, you know, this is exactly how the process of grief goes. Um, You know, it can be a tsunami, it can be a journey, it can be a roller coaster, it can be a walk. It is many things and there's no right progression or no right experience. And so you may, you know, the five general stages are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance whatever that means to you. Um, so, you know, I think the difficulty of why grief is so hard is because these are hard feelings, period. There's, there's no way around them. And they will present in one way or another, some, not all, or a combination or at different times, you know, and we, we can't predict it. The, the hard part about all of that is that it's painful, it's uncomfortable and it's messy and it's unpredictable. And we, we are so uncomfortable with unpredictability, right? Mm-hmm. Especially when it comes to our feelings and emotions. And it is so deeply, deeply personal. So, it, you know, the, the literacy piece that I talked about is really important to at least naming and understanding our experiences with it and normalizing it to know it's okay. We're not alone in that. But I think one of the best books that I've read um, in recent times that help, has helped me in my spirituality and understanding is by Samit Kumar. And he's a psychologist and Buddhist and he wrote grieving mindfully. And, you know, I think there's a lot of expectation around, you know, um, expression and a socially acceptable expression of grief and what it's supposed to look like and performative grief. Um, and there's all these, you know, expectations that are layered on, but it can be really ugly. You know, and, and I think that's the piece that people feel they need to sort of only express it this way. But what he talks about is grief is really, it's so hard because it's a defining element of being human. And he talks about how it's a really vivid illustration of the connection between grief and love. Because when we love deeply, we, we feel deeply in our grief too, and there are no shortcuts. And so grief is also a very necessary thing. It's a bodily function, biological function that helps us to process and cope with grief, to ideally move toward healing, renewal, and hopefully toward, you know, more compassion and connection with others. And I think what I really took away from him um, was that he said, it's neither a punishment or a weakness. It is an expression of being human. And I think that's really important to say, it's a natural state. It's, it's, It's necessary for us to move through life's experiences and it's uncomfortable, but it is there. And so I think that that's, um, you know, again, that key learning that is so important for us to take away. And, you know, our whole culture, um, we, we really focus on, you know, we avoid, right? We're very avoidant. We don't like pain. We don't like suffering. Of course, who does? It's shitty. And so this constant push towards, you know, unattainable, sustainable happiness, progress, fulfillment, anti-aging, you know, we just sort of want to skip over all the other pieces because we have solves for everything and this you can't solve for. It just is. But, you know, so I think that's the pieces, you know, while we don't really understand it in all those ways, there's so many um, resources and platforms and, and ways to access these tools that can help us understand what it means to grieve and what it looks like and how to recognize it in ourselves. Yeah, Yeah, that's really important. So having, you know, that's so much information that you just shared. And I think it's so important for our listeners to sort of take that in because when I, when I look at, you mentioned, you know, the difference between North America and, and, and other, you know, places that when we talk about grieving here, it surprises me so much how you're right. We avoid it and we avoid talking about it and dealing with it. And even having three days off for 
bereavement is like ridiculous because I think about other areas of the world where there's no timeline for grieving, you know, in some cultures and some religions, people will grieve for the entire year. And there are people who will actually literally do nothing except spend the month sitting down, crying and grieving amongst a community of people. And Mm -hmm. there's so much power in that, right? So when you talk about um, resources here, because obviously, if we're not talking about it, how can we know about all of the resources? What is one way or what are some ways that somebody could support uh, a friend or a loved one who is going through loss? Mm -hmm. And I think that's the thing is, you know, especially during COVID, we're grieving in so many collective ways. Oh my gosh, yeah. So, and we don't have the usual rituals and those really tangible experiences to connect us, like the food, you know, we, we convene over food, we connect with people. So all of these remarks are absent. And so it really complicates our grieving process and it can delay and exacerbate. So that's an underlying factor that I think is really important to acknowledge that people are also in terms of miscarriage or, or loss experiences. Now COVID is really impacting our healthy, usual development of these pieces. So I think to, to keep that in mind, but there are ways we can support each other. And, you know, we are uncomfortable in showing up. We're always scared of doing the wrong thing, but I think what's to, what's important to, you know, in, in um, um, the writer's experience to talk about, you know, to think about reflecting on your own grief and experiences with loss to understand your process <clears throat> of that, to really think about, you know, have you engaged in mindfulness practices? There's a lot of resources to talk about and learn about there journaling, um, breath work, accessing counseling, um, doing meaning making. And what I mean by that is like developing rituals in your own experiences to mark those losses or to light a candle in memory of someone, to play a song, to you know, um, plant a tree in memory of someone, do something special and tangible to, to mark that loss for yourself. That can help you show up better for other people. Cause I think it helps you really develop that sense of empathy what feels good and offers comfort to you? And what would you want to hear in that experience, right? So I think understanding your own grief can really help lift you up and help and to help other people. And so I think, you know, with showing up for other people, I think, you know, again, we want to fix things, we want to help people through it, and we want to solve, solve, solve. And sometimes we just can't. And so, you know, there's things to do and things not to do. So some of the things we can do is be creative, right? Like you can make the make the fucking casserole you can you know go over and mow the lawn do stuff for them just get things done there's a practical component to helping exactly and I think what's really important is that the less you need to ask what to do um, or be directed you don't need to put the ownership on them to tell you what to do that's what's going to be appreciated so don't that is such a great perspective right just do the thing I don't want to have to you know tell you what to do and some people you know I think it is also respecting boundaries some people do not want you in the home or need space and that is totally fine but I think just do the thing that you know order the food you can be creative even virtually to, to support other people but also I th- would say, don't center yourself in the things that you're doing. Don't make it about you because you want to feel good. What's actually meaningful to that person, right? Don't do it because you want to feel better. That's not the point. So if, if leaving them alone is actually a gift, then do that, right? But I think it is, there's, there's thoughtful ways that you can do that. Um, and so I think another thing that we can do, which may feel like not doing something, but active listening and just sharing space with someone and sitting with them in their pain, it's hard to do right? To sit beside someone and not, you know, we don't have words. And sometimes that doesn't matter. But, you know, my friend Jeff often says things like, I see you. I got you. I'm with you. 
And sometimes that's enough, right? We often feel like we're not doing enough, but just to really acknowledge someone's feelings and active listening can really help with that. Reflect back what someone is saying, agree with them to say it sucks, right? And that I'm just here and I hear you and this is awful. And that's enough sometimes. So I think, you know, understanding that not doing something is also doing something. Right. That's so great because for someone like me, I, I like to tend to just fix and try to take the person's pain away. And sometimes I can say too much. So thank you for that. Like I am usually that girl that talk, tends to talk too much. <laughs> well, we want to sit, it's hard to have silence, right? And I it think is. And, and bear witness to someone's pain and yeah. we don't, it's uncomfortable for us too, but to know that just sitting beside and holding a hand you know, or just, you know, and just sitting in a couch and, and, or listening to music together. I think to, we always feel the need to fill silence and, you know, but people just really just remember that they want to feel seen. They want to know that that loss matters and that this, that their experience matters. And so that yeah. the way to do that is just acknowledging it. So, you know, I think you can practice with people around active listening. I think that's a really good way to, um, you know, just get that, that muscle flexed, but um, I think it is, it's, it's, it's knowing that just showing up can look like many, many different things and don't go, don't overthink it and don't worry about it. And we're all going to make mistakes, but you know, the, with a good intent, um, you know, I think it, it would, it would be well-received and appreciated and people are going to remember that, right. It's how do you make, you know, people will remember what you did, but the, they're really going to remember how you made them feel. Yeah. Yeah. There's three things that stand out for me when you, when you shared all that, when you talk about, uh, the way that we can, um, work on ourselves through grieving and really identifying what that process looks like for us and and being becoming more familiar with our own journey through grief and loss in order to be there for somebody. You know, it reminds me of what they say about skilled helpers, like you have to do the work first before you can actually sit in front of somebody and hold space for them. And um, so, you know, that stands out for me and it makes so much sense because how can you be of help? How can you be um, helpful if you don't even know what's happening for yourself around this. And the Kubler-Ross model talks about a person's own like personal journey through grief and loss, right? It's not about how you help somebody else through the loss, but it's about leaning into our own uh, experiences first around that. And then the second thing that you t um, that stands out for me was uh, talking about active listening. One of the things that I've had to really work on as a counselor over the last couple of years was learning how to just let the silence be yes. right. And, and it is uncomfortable. It's a skill that you have to really harness and work on, but there's an acronym that my supervisor actually gave to me because she's like, okay, when you have this rescuer mentality, you know, when it gets quiet, you feel the need to like jump in and rescue someone because you think that, you know, you equate silence to suffering, to drowning, to loss, being lost. And, and there's this, this, firefighter in you that feels like you need to go in and rescue right and she says so use this acronym wait and wait stands for why am I talking mm, yeah. and so the word that stands out there is intention what is the intention for you being there why do you feel the need to talk right is it if it's to rescue just be quiet yeah and I think that's it it's just holding space and that that's a very difficult thing to do so I think that that can be practiced too right how to sit and comfort and and, and, and have that take shape because people will, you know, sharing and, and communicating is such an important part of healing to, again, some people just need to, they have such a hard time communicating their feelings or verbalizing what's happening, but silence can allow that to happen or just crying, right. To, to make room for that. And I think that's what, you know, that was what really drew me to this work is that people said, I have nowhere to put this. 
and I don't want to put it here or this isn't the right outlet. So my role is really to just be a place where people can talk and it's a safe place for people to express whatever they want to or not, you know, and I think that and helping guide them through that journey of what might be helpful, what might not, but reflect on that journey because it is, it's a, it's a really windy, messy like long road and it's you know your your relationship with grief um changes over time too right so it doesn't mean it's better it just changes and so i think understanding that part and i think one of the the best things like i love acronyms um i work in healthcare too so i'm like it took me a long time to understand them all but one of them is i'm like yeah i was i got a phd in just learning words um but stug so stugs are sudden temporary upsurges of grief and those ah. things that are kind of a surprise too, right? So it can be that we think that we've just resolved something, but we'll be in the middle of a grocery store and there will be a song that comes on the radio or, you know, a certain food item or the color of a, you know, a cereal box or something that really deeply sort of triggers that grief and it just will come out of nowhere, right? So I think that's the kind of literacy piece that, you know, can also help with just understanding. So, you know, what can we do? what can we name about our experience? What are the resources out there that I can access to help myself and process this? Um, and how can we help others, right? So I think that there's there's so much to this conversation that it's not you know a one-time, we're never gonna cover everything that can possibly happen um, in, in this way because it's it's such a huge topic and so personal. But I think the, the hopeful part is that it is a, it, it can be scary for people and I understand that, right? Um, so I think just to, dip your toe in and start from a place of empathy and start to say, this is just a way we can care for each other and help each other through life in all of, of the experiences that come our way. Everything. Can we talk about things to say and things not to say? Because yeah. I, I feel like this is the hard part. This is the part where people are like, oh my God, like I feel the urge to say something, yeah. but I don't know what to say. And you know, what, what is it, what is helpful and what is not helpful have you found in your experience? Yeah. You know, it's so funny because um, when I look at like um, condolence cards or different kind of language with the doves and the, you know, <laughs> the really swirly font and whatever. And I'm like, that is not my jam at all. So there is a movement by like Caitlin Dottie and some other people who are really changing the language around grief and helping us be much more plain language about it and less sort of performative. So a friend of mine actually also sells Etsy cards and the card just says, this blows. <laughs> and like, that's it. Right. Just so like I think putting a playful spin on it. That's what I love about it. Cause I'm, you know, a comedian at heart. And I, that's the one thing that I was going to say was those cards yeah. um, well, that you showed. That's, that's exactly it. And I think part of it is to say, you know, in, in grieving, there can be room for laughter or other things and not to make light of those things, but to avoid any kind of, you know, I've, I've gotten into a fit of giggles in the middle of a funeral because something funny happened, but it's not the right place for it. But life still comes into death. So I think that can help in your language as well, um, in an appropriate way, of course. But I would say, you know, again, the validating of someone's experience is the thing to do. So, you know, you want to acknowledge the loss, you want to respect their wishes, you want to say, you know, this is painful. I'm sorry. There's a really great um, uh, Hawaii, ancient Hawaiian prayer practice that I think, you know, going back to simple words, um, that, that it's a prayer of reconciliation. It's called the Ho'oponopono prayer. And it's words like, thank you, I love you, I forgive you, please forgive me. So if we go back, to, if we just think about basic statements, like, I see your pain, I'm so sorry, you know, you know, my heart is with you, 
like there's 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 little things that you can say, but I would say the things that you want to avoid are things that either dismiss or devalue. And so you want to avoid things like, well, at least you have, or you oh know, or you're just lucky that, oh. or those kinds of things. If if you're trying to take away from the pain in any way, I would say go to a place of just acknowledging that experience and saying like, I see, I see you, this must be hard. I'm sorry. Right. And I think you're never going to go wrong with something simple. We try to flower it up too many times, but I think, you know, especially in a loss, you could like, especially if it's someone who is known, you know, acknowledging and, 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 and bringing, um, acknowledging what that loss is and naming it is really important. Cause I think again, with appropriateness, but if it's like loss of a parent, you want to say, you know, your mom was always so great at making chocolate cake. I really remember that about her. And, you know, that was something really special. Cause I think, again, people want to know that loss mattered and that they had a place in this, whatever that loss is, had a place in the world. And so I think the more humanness we can give to it, the kindness, um, I think that's, that's the kind of general parameters. But I mean, I welcome your thoughts to say like, what has been helpful that you've heard in your own grief experiences that someone has said, or what has been harmful from, from either of you um, to help this conversation? I've never had a negative experience thus far. The person closest to me that passed away was probably my brother-in-law. And I don't, I, I think my, fr- I've never had a negative emotion, so I can't even offer my perspective on that. That's like my, my friends were pretty great. Yeah. I mean, for me, in terms of death and dying, I, I, the only thing that comes close to home for me is just the idea of, um, you know, going through a divorce. Like that was a loss for me. And one of the things that I found that did not help was people using cliches. There was the everything happens for a reason. Oh, um, you're better off. And or they're in a better place. Yeah. Or like, I know how you feel. That one is, I think that's one is a really triggering one. And so if I'm leaning into this writer's letter, because she's already gone through this particular journey, um, I would probably say that the one thing to not say is I know exactly how you feel. Because every person's, and she does acknowledge that every person's grieving process is so uniquely different. Um, And so to be mindful of that, when you're approaching somebody who's gone through any type of loss, death, and, and their grieving is to not say, oh, my God, I know exactly how you feel. Because earlier, Lee, what you said was don't center it around yourself, right? And we want to really avoid that as a connecting piece. So that resonates with me for sure. Um, and, and I would say that much. So avoid the cliches because <laughs> it's yeah. the worst thing you can hear. I had a friend and she was talking about... Um, you know, she's gone through quite a lot of loss. And one of the things she said was, I just want to, you know what, I'm just one of those people, I just want to go move on. Like, can we just move on from this? You know, and there was a lot of dismissiveness in in the way that she was saying. And I said, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with wanting to see a a, a brighter, like a brighter end or wanting um, to see the other side of things. I, I think that that's healthy to want that. At the same time, just because uh, you do that, it doesn't make something that's shitty, less shitty. Yeah, for sure. So deal with the shit, deal with the shit before you worry about moving on. Because if you don't, it just follows you from room to room. It it will follow you to the grocery store. Yeah, it will follow you to the supermarket in that song that plays on the radio. So it does, and it and that's the thing is there's there's healthy grief, and I think the avoidance there's there's you know there's ways to do it that are more healthy than others there is unhealthy where it's actually you know paralyzing and preventing you from moving on at some point in your life so is professional help that can be you know engaged at that point but I think the the moving on too quickly I think to to again make that space for yourself to 
sit with that grief and sit with those feelings. Cause they're, I think that the fearful part is that they will go, they will ebb. It might be acute initially, but it will ebb, right? And it will go in different patterns. So I think just understanding that and allowing that to, to come and how do you make room for that? But I think, you know, to your point around like, um, you know, avoiding cliches and things too, like there's a lot of, you know, soft words that come around in this space a lot, like the journey, the sharing, like those yeah. can really resonate too. I actually had a hospice client. Um, I asked him to, I said, can you, can you share your, you know, your experience of something? And he goes, I hate that word share. He's like, shut up about the word share. And I was like, okay. So it was about, you know, centering him, using that language and meeting him where he was at, not trying to soften and be so yeah about it. And he was just like, this is what it is. And it's stupid. And I don't want to talk about it. And I'm like, absolutely. Let's get some chips and, you know, move on or whatever. So right. I think it's about, you know, centering the other person, meeting them where they're at, mirroring their language, but also using plain language is really helpful. And again, the creativity can come in the just be who you are and show up in, in what you are. So I think it's, you know, people, that relationship you have with that person to walk alongside them, um, you know, they trust you and they, you have that relationship for a reason. So trust what that is and what they love about you and, and what you, so again, just make, as soon as you sort of decenter yourself and turn the attention outward, you're not going to go wrong. You mentioned earlier, there was five main stages of grief, mm -hmm. but there's also different types of grief. Can you name some of the different types of grief? Because I found that super interesting when you talked about it. And I, when yeah. I heard you in the summertime. Exactly. So there's a, there's a great website called what's your grief. And so you can actually look at this That's menu, what it was. all of the different things that present as grief. So we often, again, sort of pigeonhole grief as, you know, with death, but there's different kinds of grief for different life experiences. So, you know, we talked about disenfranchised grief, grief, that's not acknowledged by society. There's complicated grief. So where there's a loss that, you know, we, it, it was a complicated relationship. We didn't have a positive relationship with that person. You know, it wasn't ever resolved and it's a complicated grief because you haven't resolved the, the in-life relationship. Um, and there's just, again, like, I think it's, it's so helpful to name all of those different kinds. And so I encourage you, it's like, I think it's called what's your grief.com. Um, and I think that like, you know, delayed grief, there's, you know, uh, th there's just so many different kinds. And I think that that's, we're only really scratching the surface of this broad and vast yet deeply personal experience um, and, and able to put language to it, which then can help us put more shape to it and understanding of it. But I think what, again, like people, you know, want to know that their loss mattered. They want to know that their experience matters too. And I think the more we can provide that for people, the more resources we can connect them to, the more valid you feel in your experience and that you're not alone and we're in this together and women have done this forever and it's something we've always done. And I think, you know, it is, it's not me leaving men out of the conversation because let's, that's a whole other topic of how men need to <laughs> engage right. in support, right? right. They're not separate, but I think the, the, the feminine of the caregiving and the taking and the naming and the language piece um, it's not exclusive to the feminine sphere, right? It's, it's for everyone to learn and know how to do better. Um, but I think again, like there's, there's so much academia behind it, but I think the, the most important thing I've learned in my, my teachings is that we don't need to be experts. We just need to show up. I love that. So great. Thank I love you. It. Thanks for all of your 
wisdom and all of the information. I think that you're right. This is a big topic and we probably need to, you know, spend some time looking at it from as many perspectives as possible, but I appreciate so much you coming on our show today and just sharing what you have. It's, it's a bucket load full. And I imagine our listeners are going to have to put this on repeat a few times just to get all of it in. But um, say so. I, I'm so in appreciation of, of, people in your role of you being here and, and all of the information that's available to our listeners now. Thank you. And I think, you know, one thing to keep an eye on is, you know, we're, we are seeing a landscape, you know, shift, like the Canadian Grief Alliance is really starting to push for more resources, more infrastructure around grief Great. and loss and not, you know, putting it to the exclusion of the mental health services profession, which is valid. But again, building out the spectrum that's out there, I think we're going to see a big shift. And the more we can have conversations like this in spaces and make it more death literate or grief literate and bring it into the regular conversation, the more we're going to do. So you're doing the work, you're doing the work too, by doing this conversation. No, for sure. And thank you so much again for coming on. And lastly, I want to thank you so much to this writer. It just, uh, you know, took this episode to a whole new level. Um, So until next time, is Lee, Lynn, and Kathy. Parenting is raw. It's awesome. It's awesome. Awesome.